You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. usually start and stop too soon and then have my issues but yeah so we'll just kick off with a little introduction of yourself and what you do and then we'll get into some of the questions and stuff awesome well thank you so much for having me uh i am claire swinarski i used to host the catholic feminist podcast i did that for four years um where i got to interview women on womanhood and the catholic church And it was a really, really wonderful um, experience for those years, but I ended up feeling the Lord asking me to transition that into a newsletter. So now I have the good fortune of writing letters from a Catholic feminist uh, Substack newsletter. I always laugh when I say Substack because either people don't know what it is or they associate it with like a bro. (laughs) Like I don't know. Mm. I think a lot of like bros have Substacks, but the women are out there too. I know a lot of great women writers on Substack. Um, And I really love doing that. And then I also uh, write fiction for my day job for HarperCollins. And I have three crazy children. And I'm just, you know, out here trying to be a disciple. That's kind of what my life looks like. I love it. That's amazing. It's so good to talk with you. I mean, I'm super excited. You know, I think it's always fun uh, getting to take conversations from social media into obviously not real life. Unfortunately, we can't record in person, but um, at least be able to talk face to face a little bit. And I'm excited to talk today because I feel like, and and we've had a few conversations. I can't remember, uh, you know, how much we've talked on on Instagram and stuff before, but we've talked a little bit here and there and. And in the comment section and in DMs. And I know, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like I'm excited for today because I feel like you are somebody that some people would expect me to disagree with. I think more than I will, but I'm interested to dive into some of these topics and really I see. I would agree. I, I feel like more and more I'm just learning, like when really faithful people get together, like you and I probably have almost the same goals. Like we both want to be saints. We both want everyone to be a saint. We want to make earth look as it is on heaven. And the only disagreements come from very logistical things about how to do that. But I mean, overall, we have super similar goals. And I was saying the other day to this like YouTube guy that I don't really like, I said to a friend, I was like, me and him agree on nothing. And she was like, I mean, you both believe someone rose from the dead and that you eat his body (laughs) on Sundays. So that seems like a pretty big thing you actually agree on. And I was like, it's just good to remember, I think, that a lot of times these disagreements are actually more surface level than we right. feel like, if that makes sense. For sure. And I think, you know, 
uh, I think it's just important too for us to be able to have and, and record conversations, whether it be on podcasts or lives and things like that, where we can show how to disagree in ways that we can still like keep in mind that we have these fundamental things in common, you know, and that you right. have, even if we do see certain things differently, like we don't have to hate each other for that. We don't have to yeah. talk trash about each other afterwards. We don't have to, you know what I mean? Like have any like hard feelings in our heart towards one another because we might have uh, different right. uh, yeah, strategies or tactics, you know what I mean? Like you said, to accomplishing the same ends. And it's healthy yeah. for us to have those debates and conversations. But I think so often we're afraid of the conflict and afraid of actually like putting things out there that we just deteriorate, like we just start to self-deteriorate as a church, you know? Yeah. I think people, you kind of hit a good point there not to go off on a tangent, but like people are afraid of real conflict. I think people like shallow conflict mm. where they can just be snarky and sarcastic, but people don't want to actually like, get in the weeds with people and have conversations that have an end to them or like that bring in tactics or things like that. People just want to argue, um, which I don't, doesn't feel like real conflict. It feels like, again, that surface level mm-hmm. conflict that people are really comfortable with, but yeah, people don't want to get in the weeds because it takes work and we're flawed. <laughs> yeah. It takes work and it's difficult. It's often humbling too, because to, to discuss these things, you know, to bring up the topics that, you know, we kind of have on the docket, like, what if one of us is wrong? You know, like we, mm-hmm. we come into it knowing that like, I have to be open to having my mind change or like getting uncomfortable and like, maybe my ideas are more flawed than I originally thought or whatever, you know? So I think that's another reason too, people are kind of shy about it, but would love to, yeah, let's dive into this. So I know, you know, the first question I'm asking is about your, your title there, the Catholic feminist, because I think it's interesting um, for, for me. And I think that for some people, probably see that as potentially an oxymoron. I always kind of think of the Catholic feminist every time I think about it as kind of like, uh, the, like the term like democratic socialist, where it's like, it puts like a good word in front of a word that I feel like has really been like dominated and, and kind of tainted in my mind. And so it, it, it's hard for me to like put the two together and see how they kind of roll together because similar to like democratic socialists, I think the socialism usually ends up dominating the democracy. I, th- I see that a lot. And I think that a lot of, women, especially women who are raised Catholic that drift into like some serious, especially modern day feminism, really end up losing and that ends up dominating and eradicating the Catholicism for their life. So talk to me about that term, kind of how you came up with it and what you think of the two and how you see them working together. Yeah. So you just mentioned like people who grow up Catholic and then kind of drift into progressive feminism. I would say I grew up progressive feminist and then drifted into Catholicism. So I, growing up, um, I was raised Catholic, but I certainly didn't have a relationship with the Lord. I didn't prioritize the sacraments or anything like that, but I was raised to always, um, care for people who were facing any kind of difficulties. Um, I was raised to care about history. I was raised to care about people who had less than I did. And so I had all of these, you know, morals and values put into me. I don't think like the foundation of Jesus Christ was quite there, but that idea of um, fighting for justice in the world, that came very naturally to me. I went to like the women's rights museum when I was in fifth grade and I was like, this is what I want to do. Like I want to march in the streets with a white dress and a banner. And they were probably like, well, women already have the right to vote. So sorry, you missed the boat there. (laughs) Um, But I, I very much grew up wanting to end uh, violence against women. I was always interested in um, abuse and how to, how to help end that women's roles and what they were. 
And so then in college, I really met the Lord and was guided by people and fell in love with the Catholic faith. And as I read a lot of church teaching on womanhood, I was like, this is so beautiful. Like the church loves women so much. And I had never heard this. Like all I had heard was about how women can't be priests and women can't take birth control and and all of these things that implied that this institution was very misogynistic and against women. And the more that I actually looked into what church leadership has said and what the official teachings are and why they are what they are, I was just really struck by the fact that the church loves women and more people need to know that. And the word feminism in particular, I have always identified with that term really strongly. I don't think it's a word that you can necessarily look up in a dictionary and define. Like everyone has a different definition. And so that makes it hard to use it in conversations because I'm sure there are plenty of people who would be like, she is not a feminist. I, I mean, I'm told that all the time. You can't be a oh, feminist yeah, and be pro-life. You can't be a feminist. <laughs> yeah. um, and I don't particularly care. And I also feel like a change that I've experienced last few years is I used to really want everyone to call themselves a feminist. It was very important to me that people accepted that label. And now I'm like, if that word wigs people out, that's fine. Like I, you don't have to use it. Like we can still work towards ending violence against women and ending oppressive practices and and achieving equality without using the word feminist, if that's going to really throw people off. And so I have a lot of people who follow my newsletter who say things like, I don't call myself a feminist, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, it's a word. Like, I don't care. I don't have cards to hand out. We don't have a club. We don't have a password. Like, I'm not super harsh about it anymore. Just because I, I don't know. First of all, I've probably just become a lot gentler as a human being as I grow, but also just um, learning about the history of feminism and talking to some people in the generation above us and hearing their experiences with it. I understand why they just cannot get there with that word. They just cannot relate to it and cannot use it. And I just think that's fine with me, um, but I'm going to use it because my definition makes sense to me. And that's just the equality of the dignity of men and women, which is um, obviously taught by the church over and over again, that men and women have equal dignity. And yeah, so that's the definition that I really roll with. And um, when I started it, it made more of a splash than I thought. I grew up in a very liberal city. So I really didn't know people didn't like the word feminist until I was a focus missionary and moved to Louisiana and then I was like, whew, this, this gets some people kind of uppity. Um, yeah, it does. Yeah. And so I've just, I think I've had kind of a different upbringing than a lot of people in that way that like, that's kind of the area I came from. So yeah, that's kind of how we wound up with the name and it really resonates with me, but I also understand if it doesn't resonate with other people. And again, it comes back to that, like we have the same goals, so I'm not going to get right. hung up on a word. Yeah, I think that's great. I think, you know, it is something that I'd just like to clarify too, that I think, even though I'm not a huge fan, I'm one of the people definitely that like does not, I wouldn't call myself a feminist. I don't like the word because of, I think it's been like very hijacked by, I would say radicals, you know? Uh, I think there's a point in, in human history where I would have considered myself a feminist, you know, like had I been, if I could get moved to different times in, in, throughout our country's history, there's a time where I would have. Um, right. But I do, like, I do, I think I really had this conversation with um, Cecilia Pappas where we were like, 
where she kind of made the point of like, we don't have to be like, so uh, immediately judgmental, you know, like, yeah, to me, like, yeah, I, I don't consider myself feminist. I still love following you and love a lot of the content you put out. And I enjoy engaging Thank with you, you and, and reading the stuff that you have to say about a lot of stuff, you know? And so I wish more people could be like that. And it's like, okay, that's like your title. Like who cares? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's who no, yeah. what do you actually have to say, you know? Yeah. And it, it just keeps coming back to what we said before, which is like same goals. Like you've got to keep the same goals top right. of mind. And also people, you should read people that you disagree with, you know, yeah, I think even if you, do if disagree you with live in this little bubble and only read the people who you approve of a hundred percent, I don't think there's a single person on God's earth that I agree with hundred yeah. percent. So like, good luck there. If that's what you're looking for. <laughs> hundred percent, especially after you see things like the, I don't know if you've ever seen the social dilemma, but you know, it goes deep into like the algorithm and how much we're like, uh, just predisposed basically through social media oh, to, is that on Netflix? Yeah. Someone told me that I shouldn't watch that because it will wig me out more. Cause I'm already crazy about the algorithm. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, you might want to just leave that one on the side. Though. Yeah, Cause it's pretty crazy. It definitely does not make you feel good about the future of society oh, yeah. or You're the right. way that we're kind of controlled through that. But yeah, going back to your definition, uh, I'm curious your thoughts on like, uh, you know, you kind of said, and correct me if I don't get this exactly right, or, or at least get the message of it right. But fighting for the equality of the dignity of both sexes. Is that, mm-hmm. is that correct? And yes. so, so I guess where in, you know, I was kind of, I, I always like to get kind of like a, a video in on the theme of what I'm going to talk about or interview somebody on. And so I was watching Jordan Peterson and Kathy Newman. I don't know if you've ever seen an interview. I think it's epic. Uh, it's crazy in so many ways. You can, we can talk about it for an hour, but uh, just specifically in that, I'm curious your thoughts in kind of the, uh, what the progressive left might consider more feminist ideals. Like what, where, what areas do you think there exists this inequality between um, men and women? And maybe you can specifically talk about the dignity, like the inequality mm-hmm. and the dignity, because I think that that's maybe more, um, that's a little bit separate or different maybe than the political kind of inequalities that, you know, Kamala Harris might speak to or AOC might believe in. Right, because Kamala and I would have very different ideas, um, which maybe yeah. we'll get into about this idea of equality and what areas have equality. So a lot of times when you've got, and I'm just using the political terms left and right because that's what you're using. I don't really ascribe to those typically, but I do get what you mean. And so to be able to have a conversation, the I think yeah. that a lot of times on the left, people would have the idea of, okay, equality is having the same number of women and men doctors. That would be their idea of equality. To me, it really comes down to a lot of the difference between equality of, um, I think Jordan Pearson uses the phrases opportunity and outcome. So I want every woman to have the chance to become a doctor. By the way, women score better on the MCAT than men generally, yet we have more women, more men doctors. Why is that? A lot, which is also changing, but, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that a lot more women are drawn to this and a lot more men are drawn to this as long as we allow women and men to be drawn where they're drawn. So like a lot more women are interested in nursing. This is a fact. If you look at the applications to nursing schools, things like that, now you can say maybe that they're socialized to do that, but I would say that it probably has to do with the fact that a lot of women have a maternal nurturing spirit and that just aligns more with nursing. Versus a lot of doctors, I know a lot of doctors, my mother-in-law and sister-in-law are doctors, but um, doctors 
are often in academia. They're doing a lot of research. They don't have as much of a patient connection. Um, that could be like a more masculine avenue. So I think a lot more men want to be doctors. Um, I don't think it's bad to say that. Where I see these differences in equality, I mean, I could give you a few examples. One huge one that I talk about a lot in the Catholic Feminist is medical research. Women's diseases are chronically understudied, underfunded, and misunderstood. Um, The amount of money that goes into a disease like erectile dysfunction versus a disease like PCOS, uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, those are radically different. And a lot of these female diseases, because of that lack of research funding, are completely misunderstood and women are just like suffering for years. Um, So like that would be a huge inequality that I see. Um, Violence is a huge one. Globally, one in three women is going to be a victim of male violence. Um, A lot of that is not in the United States, but just if you look at the world as a whole, I mean, that's a very large discrepancy. Um, So we have these areas where things are still deeply unequal, but I agree with you when you have people on the left trying to make it seem like, well, we need to make more women doctors. I'm really concerned with making more women doctors, unless there's a bunch of women who are applying to med school and being told you can't get in because you're a woman, which I haven't seen that happen. Um, That's not really like my main focus. I think another big issue is that you do have a lot of women on the left who are fighting for policies that they think are making things equal that are actually making things more disequal. So take abortion. I mean, globally, gender side is a huge issue. When you have people doing gender selective abortions, they're not doing it to get rid of the sons. Right? They're doing it to get rid of the daughters because to have a daughter is a financial burden in a lot of areas. So that's another area where you have this huge discrepancy, but you have women on the left claiming that that makes it more equal. And so I certainly don't want to imply that like all these women are fighting for freedom and all these men are shouting them down. I mean, women can be just as anti-true equality as men, a lot of times, probably more so in those kinds of circles. So, I mean, I still see a lot of places in the world, um, a lot of issues and a lot of areas where women are not seen with that equal dignity. And that's just kind of what we're working to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's amazing to me, and I just did a podcast on this a couple of weeks ago, where I talked about this conversation that I had with uh, a woman on a flight, and she was like a self-proclaimed socialist, like said she's super, super liberal, falling the way Catholic. And I was telling her about like the idea, she had never heard of cognitive dissonance before. And mm-hmm. I was explaining to her like how wild it is to me that um, you know, I was kind of talking about, I don't know why I'm blanking on the word, um, but the kind of, uh, you know, on the radical left or in the progressive movement, you kind of have this coalition, right? There's this, this like radical, like progressive coalition. And it's interesting. And, and some of my favorite conservative uh, commentators talk about how they have competing interests, right? Like a lot of times, um, we, we ignore the fact that like you have BLM and people who are super pro uh, illegal immigration in the same uh, voting base when illegal immigration hurts inner city blacks the most typically, right? Cause they typically come in and those are the jobs that actually usually get taken. Like the unemployment rate goes up in cities where there's higher illegal immigration, usually for black Americans. I think it's similar to like, you have the LGBT kind of issue and feminists like supporting a lot of these middle Eastern countries where like literally life for women right. there is the absolute worst anywhere in the world, you know? And then you have the same 
women who are supporting, you know, like, let's say the Taliban in Afghanistan or Iran, right, or Syria, in some of these countries where you could be murdered if you have experienced same-sex attraction, right? Or, you know, to them, like, definitely if you're in an open homosexual relationship. Um, But also, like, women can't go to school either at all or, like, past, like, fourth grade. And then you have women in the U.S. who claim to be extremely oppressed, and it's like, do you know how much, even even if we have a long way to go here, and I, I'm sure we do in many ways, like you pointed out in research and violence, obviously, but it's like, do you realize, one, there's like no gratitude for what we have in the U.S., and there's no outrage towards the places that actually have blatant, extreme inequalities. Right. Another area, as you're talking about cognitive dissonance, we have a letter coming out on Substack next week about uh, prostitution and sex work. Mm. And that is an area where I get so fired up because there is this huge modern feminist movement That's to legalize to abortion sex thing. Yeah. work and unionize and like blowjobs are real jobs is a huge i'm sorry i don't know how explicit this podcast is it's pretty explicit so you're good but that's a real slogan it gets me so angry because it is always coming from these people who are not forced into prostitution it is coming from people in offices and like very professional jobs who have no idea what the life of someone who is forced to have sex 10 times a day with strangers is actually like. And for you to turn to that woman and say that you think that's a completely valid occupation is mind blowing to me when people who work as sex workers, like they are the most likely to be murdered, the most likely to get STDs, the most likely to get sexual assaulted. And you're sitting there turning to them and being like, that's a valid job. Maybe you should get a union. Like, are you joking me? And <laughs> like, the vast so majority the of them who are, <sighs> yeah, just like sex traffic, like they're sexual slaves. Right. You know? Yeah. And even if you do like choose to enter that, I'm not really sure how much of a choice that is. It's often made out of complete desperation, um, brainwashing, and oftentimes they, um, they're, they're, there's different words for it, but I'm going to say they're pimp. The man that recruits them gets them addicted mm-hmm. to drugs so that they feel yep. they need to stick around. I mean, it's a very dark, twisted industry. And to see how many women are just completely fine with it is mind boggling to me. You, you don't even have to have a Catholic sexual ethic to think that that is so wrong. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild. <laughs> I remember, no, you're You're spot on. I remember learning about, uh, we learned a lot about it and had some different trainings and stuff on it when I was in the army. And I just remember like the stats and the things they showed that I was just like, this is absolutely wild that there's like no talk about this, you know, no, like it, it is it's talk about something that's underfunded and underprioritized. I'm like, why is like ending sex slavery and human trafficking now like the absolute top priority of every government in the world. (laughs) Even just making it illegal. I mean, there's a lot of people who are just so offended by the idea of, and when I say make it illegal, I don't mean even criminalizing the women. I'm a fan of the Nordic model, which actually criminalizes the buyers. I think that's the safest way to go about it. And a lot of people think that that's like infantilizing the woman and saying she has no autonomy. And like, why should we punish these men for paying for sex? I'm like, Many reasons, actually. Many reasons we should do that. <laughs> That's absolutely wild. Yeah. So kind of drifting off of that, you know, I know um, one one conversation I remember or a post of yours I remember kind of going, um, commenting on and talking about a little bit was kind of the post about or talking about toxic masculinity. And so I'm curious mm-hmm. your thoughts generally on 
uh, toxic masculinity, especially if you think that it exists within the church or not, and how that looks, how that kind of manifests itself. And if you have kind of a definition for it, that could be great to, to start with. Yeah. So I think it's really hard to have generalized conversations about does this exist in the church? Usually mm-hmm. the answer is yes, it does in some places and not in other places. Um, sure. Like even if you just take it to America, it's wild to me just how varied our country is. Like I said, I grew up in Hippieville. I moved to Louisiana. Those were two radically different experiences with radically different problems, right? Like every parish, every community has issues, but they were very different. And so I would say, surely there's some places that have issues with toxic masculinity and some that don't. Um, I, I usually like to take toxic masculinity by starting with what is masculinity in general. And for that, I usually look to the the Bible, right? So mm-hmm. biblical masculinity um, teaches all these things. Like a man should walk in love. He should be an example of patience and self-control. He should love his wife as Christ loves the church. Um, he should provide for his family, right? The Bible has very harsh words for men who do not provide for their families. Um, biblical masculinity is good, right? That is what is good. And I think a lot of modern feminists would also argue with that. But uh, from a Catholic perspective, you've got that good, holy masculinity. And then what happens is the devil does what he does, which he takes and he twists. And so I think he can take masculinity and twist it into this very toxic thing. So, you know, he can take a protector and twist it into control. He can take Mm -hmm. um, a very healthy sexuality and desire to give oneself and twist that into lust. He can take um, provider and twist it into pride. And so I think that there is that really strong difference between biblical and toxic masculinity. So the ways that I would see toxic masculinity show up in a church would be like um, a leader who doesn't listen to anyone and is a control freak and is like, I'm the leader, I'm in charge, I'm not even going to listen to anyone's opinions. consistent abuse that goes unrepented of, right? We've seen a lot of that in our church history. That would be an example of toxic masculinity. Um, Catechesis that focuses a lot on women being made to serve without like a proper context and like a real formation, just like random Bible verses being pulled out without um, actual learning behind them on what is femininity. I think that would be another example. So Yeah, I think that there are places where toxic masculinity is alive and well. I know for me, I'm trying to think of a couple examples in my real life. Um, I've got one. I used to be a missionary for a group that I really love and still love. But while I was at training, I remember having a conversation with a male missionary who had a female team lead. And he was so upset that he had a female team lead. And he was like quoting Timothy at me about how women have nothing to teach men about the Bible. And I was just sitting there like, what are you even talking about, sir? And even worse than that is that I turned to my male friend waiting for him to come in with some wisdom and like guide his brother towards truth. And he just looked at me with the face of a complete wuss. I'm not even going to mince words, just a face of like, I am terrified of this situation and I don't know what to do and I will be backing away now. (laughs) And to me, that was even more of an example of just a complete lack of masculine courage, like just being completely like petrified to engage (laughs) this in any way. Um, I mean, quite obviously women are allowed to be team leads in an organization. Um, I think that's a pretty ridiculous claim that they're not. So yeah, that would be a pretty strong example. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's kind that's kind of funny. I remember when I I applied um, for the culture project in 2019, and I remember they asked me that question, and I don't know what I was like. I don't know what I don't know what I've done or said that makes you feel like I wouldn't be okay with this. But they were like, "How would you feel about having like uh, a female leader?" I guess just because I was coming from the infantry, and they knew that it was like very male dominated. Um, I mean, this is like. I mean, I graduated Ranger School the summer that the first female ever graduated, first female Ranger ever graduated from Ranger School. Uh-huh. And so it was like very like groundbreaking. I was like two classes after them or something like that, or four classes after them. And so it was, yeah, super wild times. And uh, you're just starting to have like female infantry officers and female infantry um, enlisted soldiers. And uh, I really asked me that. And I was like, you know, I was like, I don't really care about the sex of the person, but. I was like, but I do admittedly have some hesitancy of like having a 22 year old telling me <laughs> what I can and cannot do to control this much of my life, you know? Cause I was just like, man, like to think that like I turned 24 as a platoon leader in Afghanistan and now I'm going to have like this 23 year old who's done the culture project for a year, you know? Yeah. Now, probably like, good. Probably good for your humility there. Yeah. I was like, I don't know how I feel about that to be honest with you. Yeah, them to be telling me I can't go to like a family wedding and stuff. I was just talking to another like mother friend, and we were being total brats about when you have um, pediatricians that don't have kids. (laughs) So kind of similar. We're like, I don't want this twenty-three-year-old who has no children trying to tell me like how often my kids need to be sleeping. Which is like, I'm a jerk because they went to med school and probably know very well. But honestly. Like, do you learn more in med school or do you learn more having three kids? I don't right. know. There's something <laughs> so, to that. There's something to that for I'm sure. with you with the age thing. <laughs> That's funny. It was tough. It was tough. So I was like, yeah, I don't know. It ended up not working out. The culture project wasn't for me <laughs> at 26, maybe at 22. But no, I think that's really interesting. I I love, uh, yeah, your practical examples there. And I think it's really, yeah, it's just really intriguing to see how um, it does kind of come into play. But I, I'm curious, you know, you talked about wanting um, – uh, the equal opportunities, right? So looking back at equal opportunity, not necessarily equal outcome. I think that that's a huge, huge differentiator between rational feminism and irrational (laughs) feminism, you know, just like it is with anything. I think the same thing Mm -hmm. when it comes to race, right? Like we should make it so that everybody has these equal opportunities. We have to be careful even what that looks like because you can make it so unfair for some people who, you know, may or may not have had advantages. I think of like affirmative action that really hurts Asians who are like, immigrants or children of immigrants from these countries where they're escaping communism or just come over here dirt poor and then mm-hmm. they work really hard now their kids are like being discriminated against right in, in these like middle school school tests and interest exams and things like that so you can get out of control with it but i'm curious you know talking about that equal opportunity what do you say to a young catholic feminist who comes to you and they're like claire how do you think what do you think about the fact that women can't be priests because there's no opportunity for women to be pre, I mean, that's, that's 0%, mm-hmm. right? So that's totally lopsided when it comes to the two genders. So what do you think, like, what is your response to a young Catholic feminist who's fired up about women in the priesthood? Yeah. Honestly, my main response is actually a resource that maybe we can link because I yeah. struggled with this for a long time. This was probably one of my two holdout issues of like, I will be all bought into the church except that. Um, and I remember a missionary when I was at college who I was very good friends with, like sat me down at a Starbucks and <laughs> said to me, like, do you think that Peter 
was like the founder of the church. Do you think Jesus gave him the keys to the kingdom? And I was like, yes. And she's like, do you think that we have succession from that, that like the current Pope, it comes from Peter and like his parent. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, okay, then you can't be all in, but this one thing, it is all in or all out. Like you can't be a little Catholic. And even then I was like, okay, I believe that. And I'm just going to give this to the Lord. Like, I don't understand this, but the Lord is perfect. And I will try to be humble. And um, it's really not affecting me right now because I don't feel called to be a priest. So I will just kind of put it in um, the Lord's hands and just trust that if he wants to show me the wisdom to understand it, he will. And I'm not going to lose sleep over it. So I didn't. Um, But I continue to not really think about it. And then with the Catholic feminists, I get asked that a lot. And I finally found a Christopher West video, which is controversial. How do you feel about Christopher West? I'm very pro, to be clear. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I've only read like third-party things that have criticized him. So I'm definitely not like super um, educated on it. I know that there's been my criticism that I understand, not my criticism, the criticism that I understand that sounds valid if true is the, uh, I've heard him and Jason Everett have like cited and used people who have done like um, the conversion camps for like LGBT people and have like gone pretty hard into that. But I also know that people on the extreme left think that anything that is meant to like, would look at something like courage, which I think is a very healthy approach to, um, you know, uh, the courage, the Catholic ministry that, you know, um, Mm -hmm. evangelizes those who are experiencing same sex attraction. They look at that as like conversion camps, like anything that's meant to like help you to live with it. That is not like, gay orgies like is is looked at as you know abusive oppressive uh radical christian and so that's where i'm like i never looked into like what they were using to know if it was like the crazy definition of conversion camps or like literally where they were like shock therapy gay people to try to make them straight you know because there's such a wide range on that so that's why i I kind of listen to them but I haven't either. I mean, I've heard that and have not really looked into it. Um, I mean, he's not Jesus, right? So don't take anyone yeah. as like the be all end all. But he has a really great video on why men are priests. And I will send you the link and you can share it. I don't want to yeah, like please. even sum it up because I will butcher it. But it has to do with like, honestly, like male physiology and with female physiology. And um, it's a really beautiful summary. And it was the first time I was like, whoa. I like that teaching. I don't just accept it, but I actually think the way he explains it is really beautiful. So that, um, but then once someone has watched that, I would also say to look what women can do in the church, because we can do a lot. Um, priests are great leaders, but they are certainly not the be all end all. The American church is run by women. Okay. Go into a parish and take away all the women and watch what happens. It would not be good. Um, women really do a lot in the American church. Um, and then there's also, of course, the beauty of religious sisterhood, not the same thing as a priest, but if someone is feeling, a calling to a religious vocation, I think that's a really beautiful calling as well. Um, so I would say, I honestly, I would send them that Christopher West video is what I usually do. And then I would just say to pray about all the beautiful ways that women can serve the church because there are a lot. And if people try to tell you that they can't, they're wrong and ignore them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love it. I think, yeah, I think that's so important to look at what we can do versus what we can't and understanding the, 
the biology behind it. Cause I think, yeah, the physiology and stuff, you know, to me, that's the, that's the worst part when you, when you see either like, there's like the rogue that churches that still consider themselves Catholic, you know, that have female bishops and priests and things like that. And it's like, when you understand the theology behind the mass and when you're, you know, reenacting, you're representing Christ to the father, right. And in, in the consecration. And it's like, for, like when that's a woman, it's like a woman playing Jesus in the chosen or something like that. And it's like, why would that be the move? You know what I mean? And that's, that's like right. a, a great degradation of what's actually happening at the mass. The chosen <laughs> compared to the whole sacrifice <laughs> of the mass. But even in the chosen, did. it's tough. To divorce it from this idea that there's anything about an individual man that would make them a better priest than a woman. Like I did see a really mm -hmm. obnoxious Catholic YouTuber being like, the reason women can't be priests is that they wouldn't give very good homilies because they're not very good speakers. And I wanted to be like, sir, I have sat through so many a boring homily. Like, are you kidding That's me? wild. Like, how many dry ass homilies I have heard from these men? Um, yeah. I don't think it has anything to do with like the speaking ability no. here. That's brutal. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Almost nothing makes things more divisive than bad answers to good questions, you know? And I think that that is a great example of one of those. But I think you can also point to two. You know, one thing that I think um, is is awesome about the Catholic faith, especially compared to other uh, Protestant denominations that just disregard Mary, is like in the church, like the highest human that ever did it, the greatest right. of all time. You know, because Jesus was mm -hmm. man and God, but G like Mary is the the goat of humans alone. Yeah, and it's like she's literally number two only to God Himself. Yeah, and our female you know. doctors of the church. I mean, we yeah. have so much wisdom from really brilliant female theologians. I mean, our church history is just full of very rich writing from and saints. women. Yeah, and just general saints, you know what I mean, that are just absolutely amazing. But I know uh, uh, talking about that, kind of going from Mary, I, I think, um, and you can just give me your thoughts on this, um, but my understanding is you get sometimes frustrated with this uh, – reiteration or the the statement that we hear oftentimes in women's ministry that like your highest calling for women is is to be a wife and a mother is that correct mm -hmm. is that something that bothers you and if so why and what do you think is a better approach or what what is kind of your perspective on that you know i would start by saying our highest calling is to be a saint first of all um that is the highest calling that is the be all end all calling that is the point of life so i would start there I would follow it up by, I just really feel like we need to start seeing women as more whole beings. What a woman can give to her family is extremely important. I am a mother of three and it is, it is like the most important thing I do besides be in relationship with the father, right? So like sainthood is my number one destination. Being a great mom is number two. Um, I think <laughs> that is an extremely high calling that women should celebrate and um, we should recognize great mothers and great wives and we should prioritize that. I think it makes me worried when we so frequently tell women that that is such a wonderful destination that we kind of are implying that everything else should be eschewed for that. Um, so like, the idea of telling a woman who is, I don't know, like a researcher 
that really her highest calling is to be a wife and mother, I think sometimes that can be said in a way that is good, true, and beautiful that like, Hey, your research is really important, but the most important thing you ever make will be your children and their souls. That's the most important thing. That's a beautiful way to say that. I think sometimes it gets said in the impression that like, Hey, your work is actually not important and Mm. probably you just need to get back to your family. I think that it comes down to really how we word it and how we say it. And I also think that there's a lot of women who aren't wives and mothers who would really like to be wives and mothers. And I worry about the message that we're giving them. Um, You know, like all women are called to be maternal, whether you have children or not, whether you eventually have children or not, you're still called to be a mother. You're called to be maternal. So I think expanding that idea too would be of good use to the church. Like, what does it mean to be maternal? What does it mean to be a mother? If you don't currently have children, how can you be a mother? And if you do currently have children, that's beautiful. Raising your children to be saints is extremely important, but also these other things you do can be important too. And you're a multifaceted person and your title doesn't end with wife and mother. It should start with disciple. Then wife and mother should be right under that. But then you have other things too. We don't need to delete the rest of the list. I think that is how I would approach that question. I love it. Yeah, I think, you know, it's pretty undeniable logically to say that sainthood is the highest calling for each and every one of us. And I think it's great Mm -hmm. to reiterate to everybody that no matter your stage in life, that's that's what you're called to, right? That's what we're all called to. And that is the greatest thing in life. That's what life is all about. And we hear Mm -hmm. the saints tell us that, right? Like the saints are like, yo, be a saint. Like that's the most important thing. Forget this other dumb stuff that you're worried about. Um, One thing I think I've had the struggle with um, sometimes wanting, sometimes I think that we, we can escape or avoid the truth in an effort to protect people's feelings. And I've seen that kind of happening on the other side of that, where it's like, we don't want to point out how important it is. And that, uh, you know, uh, wife and uh, marriage and motherhood might be like the pinnacle or like the the highest vocation, if you will, uh, for women, because of the fact that so many women are hurting and single or barren, you know what I mean? And struggling to conceive mm-hmm. and um, like, I recognize that that's a real challenge, but to me, like I've always kind of viewed it as like, I believe, and I think that theology kind of holds up that like the highest calling for men is the priesthood Mm. and I'm a married man, you know, and it doesn't like offend me that that is the case, right? Like I have to, I can accept that like that is the highest calling. That is the greater sacrifice in some ways. And maybe we we could disagree and debate whether or not that's true. debate on it because i'm not a man i'm literally going in my head i wonder what this guy friend would say about that i wonder what this priest friend would say about that i'm just like yeah. that's an interesting perspective yeah you ask him. Yeah. i haven't asked many to. people about it but i've kind of shared that that's kind of my perspective on it, that i think that that is the highest calling for men um and yeah and i think that uh with that in mind like i don't think that me as a married man or when i wasn't married and, and still thought that that i'm like oh, like that's what I have to do or I'm nothing if I'm not that or my work doesn't matter because I'm not a priest. You know, like I think we have to be able to kind of like have a rational sense of like emotions. Just like I think, that you know, St. Teresa of Avila talks about this and I don't know a ton about the other saints who talk about it, but I know it's some some type of a hot topic or a hot take is like the idea that like potentially, I, I believe this, I think, so maybe you could disagree with me, but that the idea that God loves some people more than others. And that that can be. There's sh- a Father Mike on that. There's a Father Mike video. On Does that. he agree or disagree with it? 
Uh, he agrees. He says that um, God loves people as much as they need at that moment in time. And sometimes mm. people need God to love them more. That's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, sorry to break yeah. away. Go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's like, I think it's true. Even in scripture, you can see certain people like King David, right? Like I think God to a certain extent does have favorites at times. Um, I think of like Joseph of Jacob's sons, right? Like there's a certain hmm. people, Abel between Cain and Abel. Like that's what made Cain so frustrated. He's like, we do all the same things, but he is more blessed. Like, why is that? Right? Like this kind of inequality. And I think that we as Catholics, would would do good to have a certain like humility in accepting that like maybe I'm not in the highest role and that's okay like just like in the workforce like I think I think it contributes to part of our issues with like the way we look at janitors and we're like well you're not the CEO and it's like that's cool though like let him be great at being a janitor you know my father-in-law's mm-hmm. office I work out of his office sometimes and their maintenance guy is just so fire like he just like comes with a great attitude and he's like taking out the trash and he's pumped and he's friendly and he's kind and he's humble and he works hard you know and it's like who like who's to say he's any lesser than the CEO but is this like almost like extreme effort to say like oh you know the C like to to remove the value of the CEO's job, does that actually like lift him up at all? You know, um, maybe I, I went too far in that analogy. Saying. No, I just addressing the love people more thing. I want to address that real quick, which yeah. is that Father Mike also says in his video that God loves you as much as you need. And so I just don't want anyone hearing this to be like, oh my gosh, God doesn't love me that much. Cause he literally says in it, like yeah. God loves you as much as you need God to love you. So don't be worried about God not loving you enough. Like he will love you more than enough, more than mm-hmm. you need. So don't hear that. He would have and always have like, died just for you. Love me enough. Right. Right. Like that's the um, thing I think we all have to remember is that he right. would have died even if it was just you, if it was just me, he would have done everything yeah. he did. Um, so I just want to address that quick. I would also say, I, I wonder if maybe it's taking it from like a less generalized perspective and just saying like, What's the highest call for each person? Um, I think one place where you and I would actually agree a lot is like, I do not care tons about people's feelings. I care somewhat. Like, I don't want you to, I don't want to make you cry. I don't want to make you upset. (laughs) But I think feelings are very much a person's responsibility um, and that Mm. we have some control over our feelings and the way that we process things. And that um, if we twist truth to constantly support other people's feelings that's impossible because we're in charge of our feelings so i'm not really worried about hurting people's feelings it's more like thank you the book boundaries by dr henry cloud read it it's all about how we're in charge of our own feelings um that would make a lot of feminists upset it makes yeah a lot of people don't like it (laughs) i'm not really loved on the internet nathan it's fine um i think each woman has to find their own highest calling so I think of like my very, very dear friend, Shannon is a co-founder of Eden Invitation. Are you familiar with that? With that apocalypse? I don't think so. It's a, uh, I'm going to butcher this. It's a younger courage. It's like a millennial courage. Okay. Um, it's very cool. You should look into it, but you should like have I've her on the podcast. She'd be great. Um, did they win? Did they win the, um, yeah, uh, that big yeah. award. Must be challenge. Yeah. 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 That's um, yeah. yeah. So we'll Shannon is an old friend. We're super close. And like, it's awesome. The co- the way she lives out her maternal side is like stunning to me. She is the most caring friend you will ever 
meet um, and the way that she ministers to this group of people that I think we can all agree is so frequently rejected from the church. Mm -hmm. So little support for people who want to live out a Catholic lifestyle um, while having same-sex desires. That's the way Eden Invitation words it, not me. So no one email me about that phrasing. Um, Like that to me is such a high calling that I would say like, I don't know, can you quantify that to my calling? I'm not sure how much we can really measure like highest, lowest. So I, sure. I think it's really about each person saying, what is God's greatest calling for my life? Like how does he want me to reach sainthood? And it's almost hard to make those kind of generalizations. Yeah. And I think to a certain extent, it almost feels like, um, I would kind of call it like, uh, the, like the farm system in baseball. Right. And so this might be a bad analogy, but this is what I kind of thought of when you talked about the different uh, vocations is it sounds like there's obviously wife, wives and mothers out there who just suck at both. Right. Or just like awful moms and and just like there's husbands like I'm not that's not specific to women, but there's people who suck in every vocation. There's priests who are horrific. <laughs> right. Like Cardinal Ted McCarrick, ex-Cardinal Ted McCarrick was awful as a cardinal. Right. There's bad right. bishops. There's bad priests. There's bad deacons. There's bad brothers. There's bad husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, obviously lots of them right that's why so many people are screwed up in the world but it's like you can be in the in the higher league and be a really bad player or you could be like in single a baseball and be absolutely crushing it right and it's like you could look at that and be like well that person's life seems a lot more fun and more fulfilled and all that than the person who's you know riding the pine and in the majors or whatever um and i think that that's kind of what you could kind of see it that's kind of how i break it down in my mind is like like mary is like i think it's the, in this question of like, is motherhood the highest calling and, and being a spouse? I think Mary being the greatest woman of all time, it's pretty hard to deny that like what she did would not be the path or that that did not greatly contribute to her being the greatest woman of all time. Right. And so that can like really lead to that, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you necessarily are greater than other people because right. you're a wife and a mother. And that's where I think right. people really need to be careful with it. Cause it's like, and this is what I think we should teach our kids. Right. And this is what like school does and, and young sports teams is like crush whatever's before you. Mm-hmm. You know, like whether it's uh, JV or whether it's varsity or D1, like just whatever you do, whether it's your homework or cleaning your room, like just do it the best that you can, you know, and like, yeah. and you should be satisfied with that at the end of the day. You can look back at what you did and whether you won or lost, if you tried your best, you know, like you can mm-hmm. be proud of that. Yeah. Know? And I would say that parenthood too, I can really see how it serves as a vehicle for sainthood because you have so many opportunities every single day to choose heaven or hell when you're a parent. It's just constant, not not to make it sound so terrible. I love being a mom, but it's constant sacrifice. I mean, it's 24 seven sacrifice. And so when you're living a life like that, um, it does become a vehicle for, you know, one or the other sainthood or hell. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I can imagine, especially once you get up to three, man. Yeah. You guys were child numbered. I know it gets yeah. it gets really serious. That's amazing. So I want to ask you about the uh, the Fulton Sheen quote. So you know I had that in the notes beforehand. This classic Archbishop Fulton Sheen quote used by a lot of women in the church, um, but I think it's interesting, and I, I think it's it's interesting to me just that I like thought of this when brainstorming things to talk with you about, and. I think, you know, the quote, I, I should have looked it up so I could have it perfectly, but I think, you know, it's something like um, that the society rises to the level of its women, right? Mm-hmm. Or you can think of, I think like the extras around that are something about like men, like women have like this obligation to like uh, bring men up to their level, right? Mm-hmm. 
two sides of that that I see. One is you could say that's too much pressure to put on women. Um, that's, you know, to, for them to be like the determining factor of whether society, society succeeds or fails. But then the other side of that almost seems like um, it's reducing a compliment, you know, to say that society rises or falls due to the level of its women gives a great power and responsibility to women. It's a great obligation and a lot of weight, but it also says, uh, I think in what I would imagine Archbishop Fulton Sheen, from what I know about him, would be empowering women to say, like, you have a great role to play here. Like, this is not something to mm-hmm. downplay who you are or what you have to offer society. Like we really need you and we really need you to be great. You know, and to me that that is a great compliment while being a lot of pressure. So what do you think about yeah. that quote and, and where you think kind of women play in the role of the rise and fall of civilization, I guess. It's a big question. <laughs> What's funny about that quote is I have been creating content about Catholic feminism on the internet for like seven years now. And I repeat a lot of quotes, you know, when you find a winner, I share it on Instagram every six, seven months. I'm not constantly coming up with brilliant new things to say here. And I really saw this as like a benchmark for the shift of online culture because Mm. I shared that quote all the time for years and people were just like, oh, great. Give it a heart. Awesome. And then like as time went on, last time I shared it, it was a firestorm of people being like, how dare you say this? Like, this is completely ridiculous. This is putting all this pressure on women. Um, And it it stood as an interesting benchmark to me of how my audience has shifted and how um, online culture has shifted. But all that aside, (laughs) I have always viewed that quote as the second, the second one that it was a compliment to women because it is tough that we have such a great responsibility in society. You know what else is tough? Carrying the cross up Golgotha. Life's tough. I'm not trying to be harsh here, but yeah, it is tough. Being a woman is a huge responsibility. A lot of beauty, a lot of hardship. And to me, you women will receive in some ways, not always, I want to be clear, what they tolerate. Is it a woman's fault for being abused? Never. Absolutely not. But... There are so many women who are willing to um, date, marry, and put up with men who have not become worthy of them. And I think that's hurting our society. And again, I think this is probably somewhere where you and I would disagree, but um, I do kind of think there's this crisis of of manhood, to be honest, Mm -hmm. of strong, courageous, biblical manhood. And I'm going to say it's in part because a lot of women um, allow it to happen and have such a good, healthy, holy desire for marriage and family life, beautiful desire, desire from the Lord, but then rushing into it with men who maybe are not there yet or need some better formation. And then, um, I don't know, I think we get a lot of kind of faulty families along those lines. Mm. And so I think it's up to women to demand higher from their men, um, to demand respect, demand love, demand courage, um, demand these true masculine traits. And I think that if women really stood firm in those and stood firm in their identities of as daughters of God who are worthy of men like that, who um, should desire to start families, not just with any old guy, but with a man like that, I think if more women demanded that, I do kind of think we would see that rise in men. So again, I want to be clear. I'm not ever saying that it's a woman's fault for being in an abusive situation. It is not. But I'm talking about how many women are married to men who just like 
don't want to go to church, don't think that their faith life is important, don't think that their health is that important, don't think that their job is that important, just kind of don't really care about anything. Yeah. Um, I think it's contributing to the decay of society, to be blunt. So that was a lot, yeah. but there you go. <laughs> that was very good. I don't think we disagree on the fact that there is a uh, you know a depletion or a big lack of true masculinity in the world. I think we would definitely agree on that. I think where we might disagree on the causes of it. And so I think that um, a huge part uh, of of the decay of manhood and masculinity in society has been the increase in radical feminism. I think there's, like, mm-hmm. I think of no more beta male than the man who supports radical feminism. Um, I think that as far as like beta goes, so as far as like absolutely like weak, soft, like the last person I'd want to go to war with is somebody who either A, supports it because they're just like all bought into it, like, or, or B, is the guy who like does it for his own selfish gain, right? Like the guy who supports abortion because he's like, well, if I get my girlfriend or my one night stand pregnant, like I want to have abortion access to like her to go get an abortion, right? Like the men who use it for that kind of mentality. I think the second to that only is like the, the man, I don't know. I don't want to need to paint a picture too much of who I think of like the absolute like radical leftist man, but the dude that's like, uh, yeah, just super believes in all that stuff. Um, I believe th- that yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the causes are probably nuanced and it's hard to narrow down to this or this, but it does make me think of um, Pope Paul VI and his forewarnings about contraception. Are you familiar with those? Yeah, humanity uh, taste. I think it's like infidelity, loss of respect for women, um, abuse, and unlimited dominion over our bodies, that that those were going to be the consequences. And so, yeah, I think there is that. I would also say that a lot of men are behind a lot of mm-hmm. <laughs> radical feminism, especially historically. I mean, abortion was very much pushed by men. So again, it's kind of hard to make these generalizations of Absolutely. it's the woman's fault. It's the man's fault. Um, I think that they play together. <laughs> they complement yeah. one another in their uh, benevolence and they complement one another in their fall. Um, so we can either work together towards heaven or we can work together towards hell. And it's just, coming sure. together to figure out which one we're going to do. I kind of view it as, and, yeah, I kind of view it as like male pushed, right? Cause I mean like men discovered uh, it created like birth control. Like it was a man that created birth control pill, like abortion was passed. You know, we always on the conservative side, bring up the like abortion was passed by white men in the Supreme court, right? Like in 1973, <sighs> huge. Um, and so we can look at that. And I think that it's pushed from the top. I think it's made popular and executed by a lot of women. And then I think men were very passive in allowing it to basically, I mean, just the passivity of so many men. I see it in church pews. Me and Emily talk about it all the time when we see these like passive fathers in, in church pews who, or, or yeah. the passive fathers who don't even go, like you were talking about, that can't even like get the effort to actually show up. Um, mm-hmm. They just kind of sit on like this classic, like stereotypical dad, right? Just like sits on the couch every day after work, like doesn't share, doesn't engage with the family, like goes to work, comes yeah. home, and it's just like a drone, right? I think that, that that stereotype, that person existed and it allowed society to decay which is how i see them kind of like working together to deteriorate so maybe we wouldn't disagree as much and we both agree that both have greatly contributed to the downfall and getting us to where we are today i think a lot of times there's hot takes where from the men it can be like oh it was all the women that did it and women are like no all the guys suck and they ruined everything and i'm like i think it was really hand in hand 
Um, yeah. But I, that's how that's very general. But that's how I kind of see it as like the top, the main ways that it happened. Just like I mean, you can see these like background videos and these in the in the dark web of like BLM being driven by by white socialists. And it's like, mm-hmm. but black people definitely are like the ones carrying out like the radical ideas and the popularization of it. And they're kind of the faces of the organization, but um, doesn't mean there's yeah. necessarily a black movement, you know? Yeah. I, I think anyone who tries to make the kind of generalization <laughs> that it's men or women who are the downfall of society. I mean, that's an incredibly lazy argument, right? It's not yeah. a gender. It's, it's an ideology. It's, I mean, it's sin, <laughs> the, way it's, yeah. the way it plays out in our culture. And that changes. The way that sin plays out in our culture changes, but it's still, at the end of the day, sin, which can affect every person. Absolutely. All right, so let me hit you with some fast questions here at the end okay. as we wrap up. Um, do you think, because uh, we, we talked a little bit about Kamala earlier, she's like my third least favorite living person um, up there with Nancy Pelosi. And I don't even know who the third is, but I like to give myself room to, to come do up with somebody. Do you pray for them the most? Do you pray I, for them the most? I was ever I'm all about most. praying for the politicians that I can't see. I, do pray for I have my own. I do bring them into I my, do, yeah. yeah. I do bring them into my intentions for sure. Um, I have gotten a lot better at that over the last like year and a half of my life so thank you for holding me accountable there but do you think do you think that that like somebody like kamala harris or Kentanji brown jackson uh being appointed to the supreme court these these women who are literally chosen for, for both their race and their gender but do you think that that's a net positive for women or do you think that that's a negative thing I think kind of any like kind of action for, for women. tokenism checking the box is going to be a negative from me. I think if you look at your organization and it's all men and you have no female perspectives, that is not good because men and women are different, bring different things to the table. So we need some women in mm-hmm. there. Um, you have got to find a way to do that. That isn't standing up and saying, I'm going to put a woman in there. And also Kamala's policies are extremely harmful to women. And she's right. also just like, a media savvy person in a way that I find particularly distasteful to be honest. I mean, I, I, when she, I'll just tell my quickest Kamala story is that when she was debating, Oh, come on. Who was running for vice president last Mike time? Pence. Yeah. Duh. Mike Pence. I'm not um, finished. I was in the hospital. My nurse, I had a high risk pregnancy. My nurse is like monitoring my vitals. We're watching this debate. God knows why. She goes, I'm not finished. And my nurse turns to me and goes, that's going to be on a coffee mug by tomorrow. And I said, absolutely. And it was like, she really plays off the the media in a way that yeah. I just find kind of despicable. So um, not a Kamala fan. That's yeah. my answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah, I think she's the worst. Uh, next, next up, I think you strike me as somebody who would both hate Donald Trump and find it really hard to vote for somebody who's pro like extraordinarily pro choice. You have to tell me if you voted for Trump or not, but what is kind of your thoughts on Trump? And would you now knowing like this push that we have for a pro choice, uh, you know, for just like establishing abortion nationwide, um, despite the overturning of Roe v. Wade, would you vote for Trump in 2024 or consider it? I do not hate people. I try not to hate people. I should have just said hate. Um, no, strong. you're good. You're good. Um, I find Donald Trump also extremely distasteful. I think some policies he has are good, even though he kind of comes across as a showman. I'm not really sure how genuine he is. I'm really sure how much that matters, though, when you're implementing things that are good for society. Um, I... I I cannot say I'm a Trump fan. You are never going to find me like applauding that man. The MAGA um, hat. 
I will never vote for a pro-choice person because at the end of the day, if you support genocide, I have a hard time with anything else you're going to do. So Mm -hmm. we could be aligned on everything else. But if you think that we can just kill people, I have a problem with that. Um, So I always kind of land in that murky no man's land of third parties and lots of prayer and um, plugging my nose and (laughs) just kind of (laughs) doing the best I can. We, at the end of the day, I think the American political system puts like so much into the president in another way that I find kind of odd because their power is actually kind of limited. Um, I've been really lately into local elections and going to school board meetings and that's great. Trying to learn more about my area because I think our obsession with the president in general is kind of problematic. Yeah, it's no good. I love that. That's really good. Uh, if you had to make a prediction in you know five years or so, like how bad do you think, or, or I should, that's kind of a loaded question. How do you think that the LGBT movement, especially the T movement, will affect feminism and women's rights in the U.S.? You know, thinking of like Elite Thomas me, and women's sports specifically. If you had asked me a couple months ago, I think I would have been a lot more pessimistic. I feel like we're starting to see a tide turning. I think that um, the Leah Thomas situation received a lot of pushback that I saw. I think people were very upset about that, as they should have been. Um, mm. I think you've got people like Abigail Favali doing amazing work on on gender and what it means. Um, I think we are starting to see some pushback. So I would hope that things cool off. I don't know if they're really gonna... I don't know how much ground you can really get back in that area, but I think they're at least slowing down a little bit. Um, the gender ideology movement is really interesting to me how quickly it came on and how... Um, intensely it came on how very suddenly we were told that actually all these stereotypes about women are are what makes you a woman and actually womanhood is something you can put on and take off um when for obviously decades and decades feminists were fighting against that so the very rapid 180 has been strange but i feel like we are starting to turn a corner a little bit so yeah i think things might cool out in five years that's good that would be hopeful yeah i think i was just always surprised at how many people supported the leah thomas situation like because i think when you see something that seems so crazy it's just like nobody like everybody's gonna be upset about this you know but i think that we we have a very loud minority in the country that i think made it seem overwhelming yeah i i think it's a very loud minority and i think it's a lot of people who are very very afraid of hurting people's feelings and wanting to be a good person and not really knowing how to live that out because they aren't really practicing a faith life that would help them do that. Um, so yeah. True. Very good. All right. Two more. You think that women shouldn't be priests because of the great Christopher West. Is there anything else you think in the church world? Do you have any other limitations on what you think women should or should not do as far as examples could be altar servers, lecturing, anything like that? No, I don't. I think that the church has spoken and said that those things are okay. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't feel so strongly about it. Like it's not the hill that I am choosing to die on by any means. I find it distasteful, I would guess, when people kind of try to be more Catholic than the church asks them to be and implement rules that are like above and beyond what the church asks. Because I see it as just another way of being like, Look, I know what the church says, but 
actually, I know better. And this is what I should do. You know, we get really mad at people for doing that over things like contraception. Um, If someone's like, I know what the church teaches about birth control, but listen, I've done my own research and I've prayed about it and I feel fine about it. So I'm just going to do it. We get really angry at that. But then when it's the other way, when it's people being like, look, I know the church says that we can have female readers, but you know, I've read a lot of philosophy and uh, I just think the church is wrong on this one. Like, why do we not get upset about that? Um, So no, I think that women are allowed to be readers and altar servers. It's not where I'm gonna, again, die on the hill. And also like, if, you know, the bishop in your area is very firm on that, he might have reasons that you don't know or aren't aware of. I try to be very cautious when like critiquing priests and bishops about things like that, because I think a lot goes on behind the scenes that the lay people don't always know. So I wouldn't like rush to like, oh, they're super sexist and terrible. Like maybe something's going on that you don't know about. But overall, no, I do not have any other hangups. Yeah, that's really interesting. Quick thoughts on that. My only... my only time that I really don't like having a female lector is during uh, the Easter readings. I remember this past year we were like at Good Friday and it was like, you know how there's always like, there's multiple readers, right? Like you have the priest who's playing Christ. You yes, got like the yeah. crowd, right? It was the yeah. voice and each person in the voice is a man. Like it's literally Peter. It's literally yeah. pilot. And I'm just that. like, why yeah. would that need to be a woman? Like, I'm like, then there's a narrator yeah. role. There's two lectors. I'm like, the narrator can be a woman. I'm all for it. Yeah. Why would the I voice not that. be a man? They had them reversed. So we had a man do it. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like Peter said, and then it's just a super high pitch. And it's just like, that just, it goes back to, again, like a woman playing Jesus and the chosen. It's like, I don't want a woman yeah. playing Peter either. You know, do you like the chosen. Can I ask I, you rapid fire? Do you like I the do. chosen? I okay, fan. I do too. I didn't know if you were yeah. saying that like negatively. I was like, I love the oh, chosen. No. <laughs> okay. I'm a big fan. Yeah, okay. no, we love it. I've watched several of them twice, but uh, yeah. yeah, I can't wait for season three. I'm Good a huge show. fan. Um, yeah, that's a whole other thing, but yeah, I'm a big fan. All right, last question. I don't know if you saw any of the drama of the Matt Frad comedy stuff. Do you? Are you? Does that mean anything to you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Initial okay. thoughts. Maybe just this could be the question. Do you think that female stand-up comedians are as funny as male stand-up comedians? Or do you not care about stand-up comedy at all? That's the real one. I really don't care about stand-up comedy. Uh, okay. I do love Jen Fulweiler. Here's what I will say about Matt Brad, and I wanna uh couch this with a couple disclaimers. One I know his wife and she is lovely. And that makes me hesitant to, um, yeah, I just, I would never want her to get like personally offended um, because she's lovely and he might be lovely too. Two, I think a lot of his anti-porn work has been life-changing for, I mean, I know that for a fact, men I have talked to, um, their entire faith lives have been changed by that. So I don't want to take away from that either. I think in his very strange follow-up video, the fact that he openly said, well, I was just trying to make it clickable, said so much about where our Catholic media is at. And I think I am very tired of people trolling for clicks and money because you are going to go to heaven. And I don't think you can stand in front of Jesus and be like, look, I was just trying to get a bunch of followers. I don't think that's going to work. And I have to ask that myself all the time. I am a Catholic writer. I have to check my headlines. I have to check my heart. Um, and I just think he really fell short on that one. Yeah, that's funny. And yeah. Jen Fulweiler's hilarious. So <laughs> yeah, Jen Fulweiler is funny. I think, uh, yeah, it was the the follow video to me was almost worse than the actual video. <laughs> totally, it was so 
was like, bro, bro, what are you doing? I was like, absolutely shook that he, yeah, just the way, like, well, I don't, I don't run my social media and I guess that's my fault. And I'm like, bro, if it, it has your name on it, yeah, like a thousand you're percent. You're accountable. And don't blame it on your, like, social, your social media. media you're intern accountable from for everything yeah. they do. Yeah. Totally. Come on. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Claire, uh, I want to applaud you. I think you're the most, uh, you know, rational and enjoyable feminist, you know, self-proclaimed oh, feminist you. I've ever gotten the chance to talk with. <laughs> Which I really well, appreciate. Thank you. Yeah, no, you're amazing. And it was great getting to talk with you. I loved all the stuff you shared. As I expected, you know, from the very beginning, I, I'm often disappointed when I feel like I reach out to somebody and I'm like, this will be a good person for me to disagree with. And then usually we end up agreeing more than we disagree as I yeah. kind of predicted. <laughs> It is what it is, man. I I, I totally get you there. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much. I think uh, this was a great convo and I think you put out a lot of good stuff too. I've been enjoying following you and seeing what you have to say. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, we'll be linking um, to that Christopher West video for sure. And then <laughs> we'll have links to your website and um, uh, your social media. But do you want to just share what those are real quick as well? Um, for people where yeah, they can find you and sign up for your newsletter? You can find everything at thecatholicfeminist.com. There's an easy link for you. The newsletter, the Instagram is all there on thecatholicfeminist.com. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much, Claire. Thank you, everybody, thank you. for listening today. It was great getting to spend some time with you. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Claire here, and we look forward to having you on the next episode. God bless. <laughs>